Have you gotten apathetic in your prayer life? Have you gotten apathetic in your Bible study life? Have you gotten apathetic in your witnessing? Where you just, come on, don't care. So you don't do it. Don't be satisfied to be nothing. Be something for God. Regardless of your age, be a being Christian. An active Christian who doesn't even know how to spell apathy. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry. And I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. Well, good morning a second time. Uh, it is a joy to be here, and, and my heart is full. Just There's something about watching these young guys and just love God and want to be here and preach. And I'm preaching over a community for their school this week, and Joe Fant, and um, honestly, Many that are my age, I'm 64, okay? And many of you that are in their 60s, for whatever reason, you are cautious with this generation, don't be. Come on. They love the Word of God. They're not going to play games. They're not going to live on the externals like some of us did. They're going to dig into the Word of God and preach it. They really are. And so I encourage uh, all of you that are that, like I said this morning, have had way too many birthdays. You'd be an encouragement to these young guys, okay? I'll tell you real quick what my pastor told me. I struggle. I'll, I'm going to tell you my biggest struggle in life. I struggle being old because I'm a camp director. I'm with young people all the time. I am surrounded by people like 12 to 24. That is my life. And so I was meeting with my pastor a couple months ago. We were just praying for each other and and he said, Rand, what's one of your biggest schedule? There's struggles. I said, man, I just, I don't know. I hate being old. I don't want to be around old people. They talk about their operations and Medicaid. and They got to talk about the weather, you know, and, and uh, Fox News. And I don't want to even talk about that. I want to talk about your devotions and what you're learning from God. So we went through this whole thing, you know, and I told him my struggle. And at the very end of the conversation, I said, what can I pray about for you? He goes, you know, Rand, I need a friend. What? I need a 64-year-old friend. He said, all my friends, or all the people I know that are like that age, they always tell me what I'm doing wrong and how I'm not leading right or maybe using the wrong song. Oh, I just get in their presence and say, what am I doing wrong? And, and he said, you come in and give me a hug and pray for me every Sunday and text me that you're praying. I need a 64-year-old friend. So that's a challenge to all you old people, okay? Speaking of old people, I don't know, I don't know who picked the songs this morning. What in the world? You pick like almost all my favorite favorites. In traveling, we would take uh, my son and my daughter, my wife and I, my kids are very musical, and whenever we would travel in a big city, we would find the biggest cathedral, whatever, I don't even care what kind it was. This would be like on a Tuesday or a Thursday when nobody was there. And we would find a back door open. And we go into these 
Russian Orthodox and big cathedrals of different denominations, and we'd stand right in the middle and a cappella sing Jesus paid it all. Because many of them, they didn't believe that. You, they had to do something to earn God's favor. They just didn't believe it was done in Christ. I love that song, Power of the Cross. Ah, if that doesn't bring tears to your eyes and your tear ducts are broken, okay. And then how great thou art. This is not a long message, so I've got to tell you a quick story. Speaking of old, I was raised by my grandma. She was one of the sweetest, most precious Polish women you'd ever want to meet. She was only about 4'11", both ways. I mean, she was just wonderful. She was. And she raised me from the age of eight. And uh, I, I just remember that um, she thought she could sing. And she really couldn't. And she couldn't hear and so she was always like five words behind, but she sang in this high squeaky voice that just everybody would always look over, okay? So she made it, uh, she, she lived till she was 98, okay? Now when she's in her mid-80s, her mind started going, she went into a nursing home uh, in northeastern Pennsylvania. And anytime I'd be preaching through Pennsylvania, I'd have to stop and see her, okay? So we stopped, my son was with me, and. Now, my grandmother, she was sturdy. I mean, sturdy. Her mind was gone, but she was sturdy. And I'd get there, and she'd have her purse underneath this arm, and then she'd stick her arm through mine. We'd walk up and down the hall and say, Graham, how you doing? She'd look at me, give me a big smile, and say, life is but a dream. I said, how's the food here? Pretty good? She'd go, life is but a dream. One time when I was there, by the way, she had a new boyfriend, and he was, yeah, yeah. She, he was a lot younger. He was like 92 or something like that. <laughs> I said, I met your new boyfriend. He's kind of nice. And she'd smile and say, life is but a dream. It really didn't matter what I said. She would say, life is but a dream. So we went into the lobby, and there was a piano there. Josh was with me. And I said, Josh, why don't you play one of her favorite songs? And so we started playing Amazing Grace. And her eyes lit up, and she started going like this. She thought she was on playing. And when we got done, I said, Graham, you did great. And she smiled and said, life is but a dream. I said, Josh, play her all-time favorite how great thou art. So he started to play, and I thought, I'm going to sing it to her. I had a hold of her hands, you know, and I was looking at her, and he started to play, oh, Lord, my God. And all of a sudden, sudden, she started singing with me. Every single word, all the way through the first verse, all the way through the chorus. Now I'm weeping. I'm saying, yes, God brought her mind back. This is so wonderful. We finished the song. I'm weeping. I looked at her. I said, Graham, that was great. And she said, life is but a dream. He said, oh, I know that song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat, but I like this song a lot better. And she said, so do I, because it has more of God in it. I said, Graham. And she said, life is but a dream. I only saw her one more time before she went off into eternity. By this time, she was sitting in a wheelchair just staring, not talking. And I remember going to see her, and I just got down on one knee and grabbed her hands again. And you know, sometimes when you look into somebody's eyes like that, it really is like looking down tunnels of time. And I'm just going to sing to her and pray with her, and all of a sudden she just started shaking. And she took her hand, and she said, You're my people. See, I was very special to her. She raised me. She was very special to me. And you know what God says, Christian? You're my people. I love you. 
You're my family. I'm going to come back and get you someday. We'll all be together. So let's love our wonderful Heavenly Father and remind ourselves that we are His people every single day. We're going to look at one simple verse today from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. If I go the right way, we are. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Say it with me. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Say it again. Be Turn to the person next to you and whisper it to him. Go. Be therefore followers of God, dear children. Now again, folks, I'm a camp director. My life is kids. Actually, I get a little nervous when I get in front of church like this. I have to remind myself that you adults are really nothing more than teenagers with wrinkles. And then I'm okay, all right? Nine words. You can say it in like seven seconds. You teens can text it in like five seconds, okay? Nine words that totally can change your life. Be. It's an action word. Be being. Don't be satisfied with not be being. Be something. Be active. Be praying. Be giving. Be serving. Be helping. Be a blessing. Be something. Don't crawl into the world of apathy. Like I don't care. I get asked all the time, how do you deal with apathetic teens? I say, I've never met one. They're very passionate about not caring, okay? <laughs> Have you gotten apathetic in your prayer life? Have you gotten apathetic in your Bible study life? Have you gotten apathetic in your witnessing? Where you just, come on, don't care. So you don't do it. Don't be satisfied to be nothing. Be something for God. Regardless of your age, be a being Christian. An active Christian who doesn't even know how to spell apathy. Be. Say the first two words with me. Ready? Be ye. Now as you know, ye is a plural form of you. Okay? I had the privilege of living at the wilds in North Carolina for 30 years. And they speak another language down North Carolina. Uh, it's a southern language. And the plural form of ye or you is all y'all. Say it with me. All y'all. So when you say good morning, how are you? It's all y'all doing right, son? That's the difference language, okay? Then I moved to New England where I've lived for 12 years. And I go to Bahaba, y'all. So I'm bilingual now, okay? Plural. God told Paul to use a plural word. And he said to send it to the Ephesians, but then for it to be for everyone. There is not one of you in this room, not one of you in this room, that can tell me that this verse does not apply to you. Regardless of your age and your education, your health, every single one of us, every one of us in here, don't put this on the kids. Don't put this on your parents. Don't say it's for young people. Every one of you is responsible to obey this verse. Be ye. I live not far from Northfield, Mass, where Moody was used by God, they say, to see over one million people trust Christ. 
And I've been in where he was born and in the home where he passed away. David Livingston, oh, great sacrifice. God used him to open up the heart of Africa. Did you know Moody and Livingston are dead? Honestly, if God still wanted them alive, they'd be alive today. They'd be like 190 or something, but they'd be alive today. They're dead, but you're not. Why? Is there maybe somebody that lives just two houses down from you where you have a connection that others don't? All they want is maybe a jar of strawberry jam and an invitation to church? Is there somebody that God wants you to impact, that you work with, that you live near? I don't know. But God wants to use all of us. Be ye, say the next word, therefore. Now I'm sure your pastors have all taught you, whenever you see a therefore, you always have to look back to see what it is. Therefore, yeah. In Ephesians, oh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, it talks about being in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, being like Christ. And chapters 1, 2, and 3, when you start digging in, it's like a treasure chest. Unless you're a little kid, then it's like a toy box. It just doesn't quit. You find a toy and play with it for a while and look for something else. So many exciting truths like the forgiveness of sins in chapter 1, verse 6. Being saved by God's wonderful grace in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Empowered with his might. It's a wonderful, wonderful study. Therefore, God says, now that I have saved you, therefore, now that I have empowered you, therefore, now that I have forgiven you of all your sins, therefore, I want you to do something for me. Every one of you. I want you to be a follower, an imitator. Mimesis, it means to mimic, to mock. And if you're ever to imitate or mock anything or anyone, you know what you have to do? You have to study it really, really, really well. So if you're going to imitate somebody, you need to study how they talk and how they walk and how they think. Study it well. So I'm on a plane, and I'm heading, I think, from Manchester, New Hampshire to Detroit. Uh, I, you always go through. I think the rapture is going to go through Detroit. I don't know, but... Um, and we're waiting and waiting. I'm sitting on a plane and finally asked flight attendant. I said, no, I don't mean to rush anybody, but I might miss my connection if we can't get going here. She said, well, we have a runaway. I said, what's a runaway? So a teenage girl ran away from home. She's about 15. And the police caught her in New Hampshire. And she's at the airport. The police will literally bring her on the plane. And, and then when you get to Detroit, you're going to have to wait till the police come and take her off. So it wasn't a real big plane, but there were two empty seats in front of me and one right next to me. So I moved over against the one. I said, Lord, have her sit by me. This kid walks in. She looks at the first empty seat, the next one. She looked at me, looked at the seat, and plopped down right next to me. I'm thinking, yes. I said, hey, how you doing? Whatever. I said, okay, okay. She had an attitude. Now, meanwhile... I had a yellow tab, and I was working on some staff training stuff, just thinking, how can I just take these wonderful truths and boil it down the way that the counselors can use to be able to encourage the kids to keep walking with God? And I drew a tree the best I could. I can't draw. And I started putting some other little call-outs, and, and I, I couldn't draw it this good, but it looks something like this. 
And very slowly, methodically, I would do the call-outs one at a time, like hurt and lonely and unloved, unforgivable and fearful, depressed and guilty and angry, bitter, hopeless, suicidal. Just one at a time, and I'd think about it, just put another one. Finally, after the longest time, the girl looked over at me. She goes, what's that? I said, it's a tree. I did. No, really, what is it? I said, no, I can't draw, but it's really a tree. I said, what does it look like to you? She said, it looks like me. So I'm at camp. I get a call in the middle of the winter. I was actually just doing maintenance work at that time, and and all of a sudden, the pastor says, we're on our way to camp. We just hope you're there. Our daughter is freaking out in rebellion. She won't listen to us at all. She does love you. She loves camp. We hope you're there. Maybe you can do something. So I went to my office. The mom came in. Daughter wasn't with her. I said, where's your daughter? She said, she won't talk to you. She's locked herself in the car. I said, well, who has the key? She goes, well, I didn't think of that. So I took the keys. And I went down, hit the little button, I sat down behind the steering wheel, and I still remember her looking over and going, oh, brother. And by this point, I had everything you're looking at on my laptop. I said, hey, I want to show you something I've been working on. And I slid the laptop over in her lap. And I asked her, I said, what does this look like to you? She said the same thing the other girl said. It looks like me. And then I think it was a year later, we had a girl come to camp who was 17 who had already tried to commit suicide three times. The third time she ended up in the hospital and finally some kids from a youth group went to meet her. And they befriended her. And they invited her to youth group. And she came and she got saved. Hey teens, come on. Reach out to hurting kids. They want a friend. They really do. So because of the suicide attempts, they wanted me to sit down and talk through some things with her. I asked her the same question again. She said the same thing. She said, Rand, it looks like me. Now, do you know the sad thing about this? All these girls had very grave difficulties in their life. They really did. But I'm standing here in a church, and some of you guys have been in church like for 40 years. And still... We can sit here, and you can look up, and you can kind of go, oh, but Rand, it kind of looks like me. Because I'm angry. And oh, lonely, yeah. I know I'm surrounded by a lot of people and even married, but I don't feel loved. If anybody really knew what I was really like, I doubt they'd ever forgive me. I, I'm not even sure if God will. Bitter, hopeless. Sometimes I don't even really see a reason to live. Now, folks, if this is the fruit in your life, if you do, if you look at your life, and maybe not all of these, but some of these, you say, Rand, that is me. It looks like me. You have to realize I already know something then about your theology. I do. In other words, I already know some of the things that you believe about God. Like, God would never forgive me. And God doesn't love me. 
I'm all alone. And there's no reason to live. God doesn't care. Come on. I just want to die. God's too busy to mess with me. Who am I? God is a thousand miles away. Now, folks, if you're believing this, I want you to understand that you're believing lies. This is not the God of the Bible, but it is the God that many of us pretend to believe in. Because many of you, if you were honest, you'd say, yeah, that's not fair to me. Why would he allow this in my life? He doesn't care. He doesn't love me. Look at them. He loves them more than he loves me. We do. We wrestle with all these wrong thoughts about who God really, really is. Why do we think this way? Where does this come from? Got through high school. Again, I shared with you in Sunday school, raised in a very, very difficult home. My father was an extremely angry man, one of the most angry men I've ever known. And things were tough at home. And I was one of those kids that would go to bed and hold the pillow really tight over my head so I didn't hear mom scream when he beat her. I, I, I thought every kid in the world grew up this way, okay? Finally, she left us, and then I was raised by my grandparents. And honestly, I knew that God loved you guys, you people that go to church all the time. Why would he love me? Never heard the words, I love you, growing up. I'm not even saying they didn't love me, but you just never heard that in our home, okay? So we time warp, and I'm fighter, and I'm going to get through this. And went off to college, fighting as a plumber, as I mentioned. I was going to go to be a missionary in South America. Those doors didn't open up, so we went to the wilds to work maintenance, and I worked maintenance a couple years there before I started helping with program a lot. And then we had our son, Josh, and then we had a little boy that died at birth. Then we were expecting our third, and, and I still remember when Amber came back from the doctor, she was crying. I said, what is wrong? She said, we're going to lose this baby too. I just remember at that point losing it. Okay, And I went walking up that dirt road, and I said, okay, God, what in the world? I can't even work more hours a day. How much do I have to do to finally get you to love me? Why are you so angry with me? I got home finally and plopped on the couch. Amber was sitting there. I said, God's mad about something. Amber said, no, he's not. He doesn't care. He's a thousand miles away. You know, I was blinded to my problem. I'd already been through Bible college. And I believed all these lies about God. But when Amber said that, I thought, oh my. I remember looking at her and saying, hon, we don't know God. Why would Amber say that? Some teenager had her. She was put into foster care, adopted out. And then her daddy died when she was seven. And her mom never got married again. My wife grew up without a dad. I grew up with an exceedingly angry father. 
Most of us get our concept of God through our dad. What's that say about you, dad? What kind of picture of God are you giving your kids? I mean, Pastor Kyle asks, what is it we can do to retain our kids and keep them close to God and in church and maybe like have a godly dad who strives to be more like God than being angry all the time? Or be so distant and so busy making money, buy things that are going to disappear? That the kids never see them? I do. I remember sitting in that little room looking at my wife and said, we don't know God. We don't know God. Had an anger problem. Struggled big time. Everything I didn't want to become, I was becoming. Some of you men, I'm being very transparent here. You ever put your fists through a wall in anger? Do you know how stupid that is? Especially if you hit the joist. It's really bad, but... But if you, hit, if you put your fist to the wall, you know what's going to have to happen? You have to fix that. You have to patch it. And if you've ever worked with drywall mud, it's not easy to get it really smooth, is it, guys? And once you do get it smooth, you've got to paint it. But the paint is already faded in the room, so you've got to paint the whole room, and the hallway, and the living room. Now we need to do furniture. Now we've got to buy a new house because I put my fist to the wall. It's foolish. And what happens is, we, we, we emulate everything that we hate. And what we focus on, we become. And everything I hated about growing up is what I was. So I got scared. I thought, okay, David's a man after God's own heart. He had his problems. Maybe if I can, maybe if I can learn from David about who God really is. Now, folks, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about giving God just 10 minutes a day. I was scared. And I got up about 5 o'clock. I spent from 5.30 to 7.30 with God every day for 18 months in the book of Psalms. And I shared some of this this morning, answering the question, God is my, or my God is. And I remember just finding out who God was and trying to learn who he was. And he really did care. And it even says that he was long-suffering, which simply means to be of long breath. Everybody taking a breath. Take it in. Hold it. Now let it out. That's all the time we need to be patient with people. Your wife says something. Okay, hon. Your kids drive you insane? Yeah. And God is like patient with me? My life started to change. It really did. And after a while, I was a kid who grew up, you didn't show your emotion at all. You know? And after a few months, Amber said, boy, you're different. And all of a sudden, the emotional stuff started coming out. And I mean, now I... I mean, there was a day I couldn't cry. Today I get choked up at supermarket openings, you know. I mean, <laughs> and what I, what I want to share with you very simply is a wrong and improper view of God produces bad fruit. So you know what we do is spend our life looking at all this fruit and the doubts and the fears and the worry and 
the discouragement and the anger. And we try to fix the fruit. We try to take rotten fruit and polish it up and make it look good. When the answer is getting to know your God. And when you spend your life pursuing God and increasing in the knowledge of God, the grace is multiplied. And your awareness of this good God and how wonderful he is, everything starts to change. I want you to understand that's not the only tree that I showed those kids and hundreds of other kids. I showed them this one too. Loving, happy, unselfish, joyful, content, secure, peaceful and kind and patient, self-controlled, respectful. When I showed those kids this tree and many, many more, this is what they say. Oh, Rand, that's, that, that's what I want to be. Could you imagine, Mom, your daughter goes off to college. She's with her roommates. What's your home like? Oh, my mom is the most loving, joyful, unselfish person I know. Oh, my dad. You talk about someone who's kind, patient. He is. He's amazing. Could they say that about you, Mom? Could they say that about you, Dad? You say, no, not right now. Then what do you do? You increase in your knowledge of God. Because the more you know about God, the more you love him, the more you love him, the more you want to what? Imitate him. Be a follower of God. And all of a sudden, as you meditate on how wonderful he is, and how, just patience, God, can you help me to be patient with my wife and my kids? As patient as you are with me? Yeah. Lord, could you help me to be as kind to my brothers and sisters as you are with me? You see what's happening? And the more you know about your God, the more you love him, the more you want to spend time with him, and the more you'll become like him. But also I can say this. If this is a fruit in your life, once again, I know your theology. I know what you believe about God. Like, God promises to forgive me. If we confess our sins, he is what? That's a faithful God. And he's fair, he's just. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God loves me. You know it. You've been singing it for hundred years. Sing it with me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells Okay, do you believe that? I hope so. He's always there for me. You struggle with covetousness and wanting me bigger house and nicer things and whoa, whoa, whoa. Let your life be free from covetousness. Be content with the things that you have. What is the, what is the answer in Hebrews? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am more than enough. I have a purpose in life. God has given you a friend set to impact, to tell about this wonderful God. Sometimes we don't, but we should. God cares. 
Randa had a miscarriage, God cares. We've had a number of them after losing the little boy even. And I can't tell you the number of young moms and dads I've knelt down and cried with and hugged. I said, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. God helps me and he's in control of my life. And God wants the best for my life. He really does. Then why are these difficulties here? Because you're being dependent upon self. And you're living outside of his enabling grace. For he resists the proud, those who are dependent upon self. Self-dependent, self-made. And he only gives his enabling grace, his wonderful empowerment to the humble, those who are totally God-dependent. And we have to make a choice in life whether we're going to depend on God or depend on me. Because he really wants the best for our life. In other words, a right and proper view of God produces good fruit. So don't focus, folks, on the fruit. Focus on your wonderful God. And as you focus on him and think about him and love him, you will become an imitator of him. You become what you focus on. You really do. So we see in these simple words, be ye therefore imitators of God. Say the last three words with me, please. As dear children. As dearly loved children. Kids are cool. I love kids. They're great. I, I, I have the best job in the whole world. You say, do you have a favorite age? Not really, but I do like second graders because they're like at the height of their intelligence, Okay. And, and honestly, once you finish second grade, it's downhill from that point on. <laughs> and I mentioned that one time, and his teacher sent me some notes here. said, uh, here's some, some prayers or some notes that some second graders wrote to God. Dear God, I didn't think orange went well with purple until I saw the sunset you made on Tuesday. That was cool. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not have killed each other if they had their own rooms. That's what my mom did for me and my brother. <laughs> Dear God, if you watch me in church on Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. Dear God, I'll bet it's really hard to love everybody in the whole world. There's only four people in our family, and I'm having a hard time loving all of them. Dear God, I went to this wedding, and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Dear God, of all the people who work for you, I like Noah and David the best. Dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but I think you got confused because what I prayed for was a puppy. <laughs> now, why can, why can kids write notes like this to God? Hebrews tells us. You see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. He is everything his precious word says he is. He is loving and forgiving and kind and wonderful. He's all powerful. He's holy. He's just. He's a wonderful, wonderful God. And is the rewarder of them who are really busy making a lot of money and having a good successful life. He's a rewarder of them that keep real busy serving God. It's not what it says. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek So you old people, if 
you could live your life all over, what would you do differently? I hope you would say spend more time with God. Yeah. Be ye therefore imitators, followers of God as dearly loved children.